If you have your Bibles, can you turn to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11? That's what I'll read. I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is not thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branch branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and are burned. If you abide in me and my words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my father. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me. So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The word of the Lord. Did you ever have it uh, as a kid, or maybe some of you core students, you still experience this on a regular basis, where you're kind of with your friends, and someone starts telling a story or maybe starts telling it something they got for Christmas, they just really don't believe it. You know, you just think, that can't be true. And kids are famous for calling each other out on this. They're really good at it. They say, really? You know, maybe we as adults would just sort of say, well, I don't really believe it, but we kind of keep quiet. Kids say, really? Prove it. Prove it, right? I mean, I had this happen to me all the time as kids because for humans, seeing is believing, and maybe rightly so, Right? Seeing is believing, and this sometimes makes me a little bit nervous as a Christian and as a pastor as well, that that for human beings, seeing is believing, because sometimes I wonder, is there anything about us uh, that really says to people we're actually Jesus' disciples? You know, when people look at us, uh, do they say, you're a follower of Christ? Christ said some pretty intense things, said some pretty demanding things. Some pretty radical things. You're a follower of Christ? Really? Prove it. I mean, is there anything that really shows us to be Jesus' disciples? Is there anything in our lives that actually proves it? You might have never asked yourself these kind of questions before, but I would contend this morning that these are super important questions, and Jesus helps us to answer them here in our passage in John 15. He's using this metaphor of the vine and the branches, And we're going to dig into it to answer this question. How do we prove to be disciples of Jesus Christ? You know, we're in the midst of this series called Recentered. And we're we're taking the beginning of this year and we're saying, all right, we have this proclivity. We have this this terrible tendency to major on minor things in life. Any of you ever discovered that about yourself? You're like, man, I'm spending a ton of time doing this and that doesn't matter at all. You know, I usually notice this about me with sports teams, that I get really crazy about a sports team, and then at the end of the year, when they lose, which is always what happens, those of you who are Vikings fans, I'm sorry, but it happened to you again last week, and you should learn from this, right? Uh, the, you know, the, the goalposts just aren't wide enough. 
you should learn from this because afterwards you're heartbroken and then you just say, wait a minute, none of these people know who I am. None of these people even know that I'm really struggling this week because of what they did. So maybe I should really invest in something that mattered. You know what I mean? Uh, We just have this proclivity to major on minor things and minor on the major things. So we've said, hey, as a church, can we at the beginning of this year come back to what's really important, which is Jesus? It's what he's told us to do. And here in John 15, we find um, everything that we want to be about as a church, specifically in verse 8. This, this is everything that we want to be about as a church. It's sort of the DNA of life church. You talk about recentering. If we can do verse 8, that will be everything that God has called us to do. And so we're going to be starting in verse 8, and, and then the rest of the passage about the vine and the branches tells us how to accomplish that. All right, so we, w- so we together on this. Let's start in verse 8 where Jesus, after he's gotten done talking about the vine and the branches, he says this, this really important little, little verse here. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. For those of you who are covenant members, you know that our mission statement here at Life Church is what? Anybody say it? What's our mission statement here at Life Church? It's a good little quiz. We glorify Jesus Christ by making disciples in our neighborhood and beyond. It's just a twist on the Great Commission, but it's essentially saying the exact same thing that Jesus is saying here in John 15, 8. We glorify Jesus Christ by making disciples in our neighborhood and beyond. That's what we want to do. Um, so the first thing there, we glorify God. This is the big overarching purpose of every breath that we take. Um, all of the scriptures are filled with this. God did not create us because he was lonely. We were created to glorify God. Everything that we do as a people, as a church, is to, is to point to God, is to glorify God, is to make much of him. All right, so here at Life Church, we love to think about how do we help bring people out of poverty? How do we assist them in, in mentally and psychologically and physically? How do we do that? And we don't do that because that's the nice thing to do. We do that because it glorifies God. It brings him glory. That's what he's told us to do, and it brings him glory. Um, we love to teach people to obey everything Jesus commanded them. Uh, that's very important, but we don't do that just so it'll make people more moral. We do that because this glorifies God when they obey Jesus. Everything that we're about is about God's glory. The Westminster Catechism, the the first question and answer, always starts with the, the biggest thing, the main thing. And this is the biggest thing in all of our lives. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what we're here for. And when we are doing that, our lives are full and right and we begin to flourish. When we're not doing that, we begin to fall apart relationally and and everything else in our life doesn't make sense. That is the big thing that we are to do. And so Jesus says here in John 15, this is how we glorify God. We bear much fruit. And in in that also, we prove to be his disciples. We prove to be his disciples. That's the other thing we want to do. We want to prove to be authentic disciples of Jesus. And I like how the translators use the word prove here. Because the Greek word is more like to become or to be. Um, But the translator said, hey, look, this word's got lots of different range and meaning and possibilities depending on its context. So I think it's more close to to, to prove or to show. 
And that really is true because uh, the fruit of our lives doesn't make us disciples. It just proves that we are. The fruit of our lives doesn't save us. It just proves that Jesus has saved us and loved us, right? And that's what we want to do. We want to prove to be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. This is the kind of stuff that keeps Pastor Bill and I up at night, wondering if we're really making disciples of Jesus here at Life Church. Are we really doing that? Um, you know, because making disciples of Jesus is a massive undertaking. It's a, it's a big thing. And I can tell you something here. As a church in America, you can look really good. You can look really successful, have nice buildings and nice programs and really cool-looking people and totally blow it when it comes to the mission that Jesus gave us. You can never make a real disciple. Um, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that I gave to our elders because I think this is so important. And every year at the beginning of the year, Pastor Bill and I are wrestling with uh, our discipleship plan and are we really truly doing what we say we're about? If we say we're about making disciples, then we should be making disciples that are really truly disciples. And this article said uh, our discipleship plans in America in general are failing. And the, the author was saying uh, one of the problems with that is that we've really reduced, we've really lowered the bar for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We've sort of widened the goalposts like the Vikings need to do, you know? We, we've, sort of, we've sort of said, ah, it, it's, it's too hard to, to really be a disciple of Jesus, so let's just make it these things. And the things he said that really now we measure discipleship by are you go to church on a regular basis, you give a little bit of money, uh, you volunteer some time, and you're a generally nice person. That's what it means to be a disciple. And he was saying, look, when I read the New Testament, the kind of disciples the New Testament church was cranking out, we wouldn't cut the mustard. Our disciples just wouldn't do what those disciples did. I mean, you got people being thrown to the lions, being ripped apart, singing hymns. That was the kind of disciples that they were making. We're wondering, are we making those kinds of disciples that would change the world if they were given the same task that Jesus gave them in the first century? Sometimes I just, I just get this knot in my stomach like, no, we're not. No, we're just content putting butts in the seats on Sunday morning. Jesus did not say, go have services every week. He said, make disciples. Teach people to obey everything that I've commanded them. We're about making disciples. We want to do this. And notice that in verse 8 here, sandwiched in between what we want to do ultimately, glorify God, and how we do that, make disciples, is something right in the middle, and this is what we're going to get at today. How do we do both those things? We produce much fruit. You see that? Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Fruit's really important. And so prove to be my disciples. The fruit glorifies God, and the fruit proves that we are his disciples. So we must produce fruit. So that's what we're talking about here today. How do we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, produce fruit and so glorify God and prove to be authentic disciples of Jesus. Let's say a word or two about fruit before we we jump back into the passage. Um, As Westerners, we are all about results when it comes to fruit, right? We like percentages and profit margins and dividends and numbers, 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 and and more numbers, and that's okay. Results, it's okay. Doing is very important, But biblically speaking, when the Bible talks about fruit in our lives, it's first of all talking about internal things, right? Uh, At Life Groups, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. 
And these, we pointed out, are mostly internal things, but they always have an outward expression in our lives. So we become people of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when those things become evident in our lives, we, we become a new kind of person that does new kinds of things. We care about the things that Jesus told us to care about. We hate the kinds of things he told us to hate. So it always works from the in, inside out. And I think that's helpful when it comes to fruit because here's the thing. How many of you have ever known somebody that did the right thing for the wrong reason? You've known people like that, right? It's kind of the worst kind of thing. Oh, they're doing the right thing, but it's for the totally wrong reason. Uh, you can be prideful and self-righteous and help the poor while you look down your nose at them. And see, that isn't true fruit. And it doesn't help anyone. It only reinforces in the mind of the poor that they should be ashamed of themselves and that they're worthless. And it only reinforces in your mind that you're so great and so wonderful and you're the answer to everyone's problems. So it just damages both people. That's why we're not to immediately focus on what you're doing, but we're to focus first on what the Lord's done in you and then it works itself into your actions. That's what fruit is. So when we think about fruit here at Life Church, let's just think about are you becoming more like Jesus? God is way more concerned with who you're becoming initially than what you're doing. What you're doing will always follow who you become, right? So let's focus on that. Are you becoming more like Jesus? We want to know this. Now, I think it's interesting in this passage how Jesus starts talking about fruit. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Notice he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This is serious, friends. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Starts off saying that fruit is a diagnostic tool for the, for the father. It's a, it's a dead giveaway for him to tell who really belongs to Christ and who doesn't. And I think this verse is as serious as it says He says, every branch in me. And I hate that those two words, in me, are there. Because that suggests that Jesus is saying, there are branches in me that really don't belong to me. There are people in my church that say the right Christian things, that come to church, uh, but really they're unrepentant, they're fruitless, and their hearts are far from me. And we know this is a possibility from other places like Matthew 7. where Jesus says, there's going to be lots of people In the end, they say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and this in your name? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. That's what he's getting at here. And those people are cut away. Those people are removed. They're not true branches. And the the way he tells is by the fruit. Some people say, well, you don't know my heart. God knows my heart. Yeah, but he's looking at your fruit. That's how he can tell if you really belong to Jesus. It's not that hard. He's just looking at your life. So today we're just saying, do you have any fruit on your tree? Is your vine fruitful at all? Because if it isn't, that's a dead giveaway. Please, friends, don't be deceived. Just because you come here on Sunday morning does not mean that you're a Christian. It does not mean that you truly belong to Jesus just because you attend church. This is a place for, it's kind of like the huddle, you know? And then you you get sent out into the the game, into into the real Christian life. But just because you come here does not mean that you're a Christian. You need to examine your fruit. 
Uh, if you need some help with that, uh, ask a couple of trusted friends. Do you see any fruit in my life? Now, here's the, here's the frustrating thing. The people that are going to beat themselves up the most about verse 2 are the people that don't really need to. You know, you really performance-driven people, this is a hard verse for you. Okay, I'm like that. I hate these verses because then I just want to go do more. And that's not what Jesus is getting after here. All right, we got to get that too. Um, the kingdom of God is not a place for people that are afraid of going to hell. It's a place for people that love God and want to bring him glory. Right? That's what the new heavens and the new earth is all about. People that love God and want to bring him glory. So he's not trying to make us afraid here. He's just trying to say, hey, look at your life. This is how to tell if you really belong to Christ. And here, obviously, uh, stay with the metaphor. There's going to be seasons of your life where you're not as fruitful. You know, every branch goes through winter, right? I don't know if any trees bearing any fruit today, minus 20 or 40 or whatever it is. They're not bearing any fruit right now. They're hunkered down in the most dormant phase. They're probably dead, actually. Um, it's amazing anything lives in this state, you know? It's just crazy. But, but really, you, you go through those seasons, and maybe you're going through a season, uh, the second part of the verse. Maybe you're being pruned. Let me tell you, pruning doesn't feel good, but it is good. Pruning feels like you're going back, getting things cut away. You're getting things and issues in your life. The Spirit's coming and saying, this needs to go. I got to get at this in you because that's not, that's, not, that's not right for you. That's not drawing you closer to Christ. I'm going to get that. And he's determined to prune those things away. I got an apple tree at home and I've been pruning it the last couple of years. And I've always noticed after getting pruned, I'm like, where'd the tree go? You know, there's a lot cut away. But the next year, the growth is amazing. And for some of you, you're just being pruned. You need to be confident. You are God's child, but you're being pruned. And you need to rejoice in that because there's more fruit coming. You need, to, you need to be confident that you're growing in him. But this is why we ask this question at Life Group. Are you growing? Is there any fruit in your life? Because it's a diagnostic tool for the Father. Now, that brings us to the question, how do we produce fruit? I mean, that's the ultimate question we're about here today because that glorifies God and that proves us to be his disciples. How do we produce it? Well, it's the rest of the passage. And in here lies the secret to all the Christian life. I mean, I'm telling you, if you get this passage and the central idea here, you will get the secret to all of the Christian life. Everything else will fall into place. And the secret is, as he says throughout the passage a million times, abiding in the true vine. Abiding in the true vine. That's the secret. If you can learn how to abide in the true vine, you've got the Christian life. Everything else will fall into place. You'll stop doing the, thing, the, the sins that you want to stop, and you'll start producing the virtues that you want. Those will be done in you if you can learn this one thing, abiding in the true vine. Now, that's not clear readily to me, is it to you? I don't know. I don't say, do you want to come over and abide at my house for a while? I don't, we just don't use that language very much. Um, and what does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? That's, that's not super clear, so let's talk about those things. This is super important here, right? First of all, what does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? He says, I'm the true vine, as opposed to, I guess, the false vine. What is, what is, what's the false vine if he's the true vine? Well, in this, in this text, Jesus has just gotten finished with the Lord's Supper, um, with the Last Supper, and, and he and his disciples, he said, let's go. And we don't know where they went, but I think they probably went for a walk. And um, I think they probably walked right by a vineyard because that would have been common. And he said, hey, there's a good chance for me to talk about this. This is what I'm like. I'm the true vine. And I think when he said this to his Jewish disciples, 
I think this would have been a shocking statement. Because see, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, which they would have known well, Israel was constantly referred to as the vineyard of God, the vineyard of the Lord. They were supposed to be the fruitful ones. They were supposed to be the fruitful people. But Jesus is saying, I'm the replacement. I'm the fulfillment of everything that Israel was supposed to be. Uh, Places like Isaiah 5, God, through the prophet Isaiah, writes this sort of poem about his vineyard. And he says, I set it up just perfectly, and I planted it, and I put a wall around it so nothing could get in and harm it. And then, to his dismay, it only produced bad fruit. Which we know from reading the Old Testament, Israel produced a whole bunch of bad fruit, if any fruit at all. It was just really disappointing. So he says, "I I just tore down the walls and just let the whole thing be overrun. I've got to have a more fruitful vine. And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. Jesus is the new Israel. Where once God's plan for salvation focused all around this people of Israel, his now plan for salvation focuses all on the person of Jesus Christ. Where once the channel of all of God's life and blessing flowed right through his people Israel, now Jesus is saying, God's life and blessing, I'm the new channel for all of God's life and blessing. Flows right through me. Where once you, you, the salvation option was closed. It was, it was for the people of Israel. You had to be a part of that people. Uh, blood and geography really mattered. Jesus says, now it's wide open. It's anyone who's connected to me can have life and salvation through me. He's the true vine. He's the true source of life and blessing. That's what it means to be, for Jesus to be the true vine. And so what does it mean for us to abide in him, to stay in him, to remain in him? Well, notice, let's read verse 4 and 5. This is where he really uses so many abide words. I feel bad for Scott because there's just millions of abide words in here. But he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice there's a mutual indwelling. Christ is abiding in us and we're abiding in him. Christ is remaining and staying in us and we're remaining and staying in him. And this is the secret to all the Christian life. Christ is in you. The Apostle Paul says this, that, that there's this mystery, Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. That Christians are not just people that believed a certain thing. They are people filled with God. People who God comes and dwells in. This is what the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about in Ezekiel 36. He says, God says, I'm going to sprinkle you with water and make you clean. He says, I'm going to take from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. That's what he's talking about. So there's going to come a day where, you know, you're struggling right now to keep my laws. As a matter of fact, you're just downright pathetic about it. But I'm going to come and fill you and give you a new power, a new ability. And Jesus shows up and he says, I'm that new ability. You need to abide in me. Remain in me even as I remain in you. This is the secret of the Christian life. Uh, one pastor put it like this, and I've never, never forgotten it. He said, the Christian life is not the life that you live out of your own strength for God. 
But sometimes we would think that, like, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm living for Jesus. Um, as a cadet, I grew up singing the song, Living for Jesus. Uh, and uh, that was a really monotone song that we all sang every week. But, but really, we're not living for Jesus. God comes and lives through us. This pastor said, that the Christian life is not the life you live for God, but the life that God comes and lives through you. And those two things are so much different. The first example, the life that you live for God is filled with effort and struggle and puny little fruit. It's like a branch on the ground trying to produce fruit all by itself. It's not possible. Whereas in the second example, it happens naturally, effortlessly, because you're connected to the true vine. Any branch connected to the true vine is just going to produce fruit. It's what it does. It just happens. When, you're, when you have the, the, the life of the triune God pulsing through you, you cannot help but to produce fruit. That's why God says, if, if I'm looking at you and you've got no fruit, I can clearly tell. It's easy to tell. So when you are in Christ, when you are abiding in him, you will produce fruit. This metaphor and this, this word of abide also tells us that the Christian life is not just about believing a set of, a set of facts. Um, you know, when we confess the Apostles' Creed in church, that's super important that we hold to the same things the church has held to for the last 2,000 years. But Christianity is not just about, you know, ascent, just, just giving your, your yes to a certain number of beliefs. It's not just about that. It's also not just about doing the things that Christ said to do or not doing the things Christ said not to do. It's about a relationship with a real person who's really alive. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again, wants to have relationship with you as close as a vine is to its branches. As dependent as a branch is to the vine, Jesus wants our relationship to be like that. So much so that he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, how many of you really think about that in a given week? If I try to live apart from Christ, nothing will happen. Nothing good's going to happen. I'm not going to produce any fruit if I try to live apart from Christ this week. We need to learn that. That's a truth that Jesus, he's trying to say, apart from me, you can't do anything. So, so lock into me, get connected to me, have my life flowing through you at all times. Now, this is kind of the big overarching idea, abiding in Christ. And it's a bit of a mystery, right? I mean, I don't get that perfectly. How does God come and live in me? And how do I abide in him at the same time? But Jesus gives us also some practical things to abide in him. So things that, that are pretty readily understandable here in this passage. And we're going to kind of end here uh, with some practical ways that you can abide. Verse 7, look at this. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So there's this, there's this hanging on to the words of Christ that, that's a really practical way to abide in him, that you just, you just meditate on it. You just think on the words of Christ. You stay in the scriptures and you just stay connected to him through the scriptures. Jesus says to the Pharisees in one place, you think that you have, you, you study the scriptures because you think that there's life in there. But he says, you don't come to me. I'm who the scriptures are about. So when we come to the scriptures, we're not just coming to read them to check our box. We're coming them to connect with the source of life, to connect with the true vine. Staying in his words, hanging to his words. Uh, the second thing, verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do we abide in his love? Well, he tells us, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Isn't that interesting? We wouldn't have guessed that, would have we? 
that keeping Christ's commands keeps us in his love, stays us in his love, but that really keeps our relationship with him right. If you love this King Jesus and you honor him, won't you want to obey his commands? You're not going to be like, I don't care about that. You can't really care about Jesus and love him if you just have no regard for what he told us to do. It's not possible. It means you don't really love him if you don't care about his commands. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is looking for people that obey his commands and abide in him. And finally, and this one isn't in this passage, but it's throughout the New Testament, Paul constantly talking about staying connected to the body of Christ is a way that we abide in Christ. And we're pretty bad at this as an independent church, I'll be honest. Um, A lot of times we don't talk about the importance of the church enough, but Paul says the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the body. Um, So the church can't, obviously the church can't function at all without the head. No more than a body can function without its head. But individual members of the body also can't function apart from the body. We have to stay connected to the community of Christ, the church. And for some of us, you know, we've been hurt by church. Church is difficult because it's filled with sinful people. Um, That's what makes church a problem. You and I are both a problem in this church because we have sinfulness all over inside of us. And, And God's constantly working that out in us. But he calls us to the community of Christ. He calls us to his body. We need to be faithful to his body. We need to say, instead of standing back and criticizing how awful the church is, We need to be a part of making her what Jesus always wanted her to be. Making her that bride that Jesus is coming back for. Jesus is not coming back for us as individuals. Not for Ron and Julie and Larry. He's coming back for the church. He's coming back for us together, right? So we've got to be faithful to his body. And maybe some of you are here today and you said, boy, life in God has been a struggle lately. Well, go through some of these things. Have you you been meditating on the word? Have you been praying and meeting with the Lord in, in that way? Um, uh, have you been uh, paying attention to the commands of Christ or have you had no regard for the commands of Christ? These things can disconnect you uh, from the true vine. Uh, or maybe if, if for you, it's, you've sort of forsaken your life group and, and come into church and you sort of said, I'll do Bedside Baptist and just hang out here and I can do church on my own and, and I'm okay on my own. No, you're not. You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be connected to Jesus the way he wants you to be on your own. The end result of disconnection is lifelessness and fruitfulness. And if you're convicted here today, praise God. Praise God. He's doing an awesome work in you. He's pulling you back to himself. He's calling you to uh, faithfulness in him. But please, whatever you do, do not run out and try to produce fruit on your own. Make the first thing you do to run back to the true vine. Get connected into, get his life, life source flowing through you again. Now use the, the disciplines, use prayer and fasting and, and solitude and community, those kinds of things to, to, get, his, to get connected to him, to get his, his flow back in you. And then watch out, you're going to produce fruit. It's going to happen. Christians don't focus on producing fruit. They just do because they're connected to the fruitful one, the true vine, Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer for us here in 2016, Life Church. My prayer for us is that we would glorify God and we would prove it. We would prove to be authentic, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. That we'd have uh, all kinds of the fruit of the Spirit just evident in us. 
We'd be people of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That stuff would just be all over us. So much so that it would be kind of odd. Like, what is with those people? They're so peaceful in the midst of this really crazy time in the world. What's with them? They have just so much love and compassion. They just care about different things. I just pray that for our church. I pray that our church would get involved in the things that Christ's heart is involved in. That we would not let the Syrian refugee crisis go. I'm on the soapbox about Syrian refugee crisis. But, but this is a huge, massive crisis. We can't afford to just neglect Christ's commands to care for our own flesh and blood. That we get involved with the, the prison ministry and, and obey Christ's command, like Pastor Bill said, to visit the prisoner, care for their families, and break this cycle of incarceration in the state. I pray that we would, we would have a voice. We would make an impact in sex slavery. It happens here in South Dakota. It happens around hunting season. It's terrible. That we would stand and we would say, people are not for sale in South Dakota. People are not for sale. They're created in God's image for whom Christ died. They're not for sale here. We're going to stand against this as God's people because we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. I pray that in Life Church, we would have a church full of people that are just ready to go to an unreached people group, like Susan prayed for. 45 million people somewhere dying without probably ever hearing the name of Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? Never hearing it. I heard it, I heard it from the womb on up all the time. These people never one shot to come to know Jesus. That maybe someone in here, your mouth would be the first time they ever hear Jesus. That we would reach people locally in every way we can, with the good news of Jesus Christ, with the hope that is found in his death and resurrection. Friends, I pray there'd be so much fruit on our tree that we would adopt orphans locally and around the globe and care for them in a million different ways. I pray there'd be just fruit like that. I had Jeannie put some fruit out today because I'm like, I want big fruit, Jeannie. I don't want little puny scrawny fruit on a little puny twig. I want big time fruit, you know, like the full bodied fruit that's, that's going to make the best kind of wine in the world. We want, we want big fruit on our vine. Amen. We want, we want a church that's full of it. And here's why we want it. According to John 15, 8, for God's glory. We get totally out of the way and we say, we are jazzed up. We are energized by one thing, the glory of his great name. We don't care if Life Church ever gets mentioned in the process. We are about his glory and that's it. That's what we're for. And in so doing this, may we prove to be his disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for this text today, reminding us that Jesus is the true vine. We thank you that he is the true vine. uh, Because apart from him being the true vine, we would still be outside of your plan. We thank you that you opened that plan to us. Lord, help us now. It really is our heart. We want to glorify you with everything we've got. We want to produce fruit. We want to prove to be authentic disciples of Jesus. We need your spirit. We need to be connected to you. Help us to remain in the vine. Jesus, amen. Um, so every week at Life Church, we also like to share the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and as, as Pastor Dave said, um, God desires to be in relationship with us. Um, and all throughout history, um, it can be seen that, that God has wanted to be in relationship with us. And where it, where it went off the rails, where, where it was broken, was, was when we said, when, when, when we said whether, whether in the biggest ways or in the smallest ways, we said, you know what, I can do this on my own. 
I've got this, God, you know, I got this on my own. And walk away. And, and that led to death. That was sin. That's saying, I'm God, and God, you're not really. And, and for most of us, that, that would be enough to say, all right, let's cut off the relationship. Let's, let's not pursue. It's over. It was pretty clear. Um, but God, God doesn't look at that as, as the end. He says, all right, I still want to be in relationship with you. I still want to be with you, to know you and be known by you. And he pursues us and, and he interacts with us all throughout history until it culminated in Jesus. God the Father sent his son Jesus in the flesh to be with us, to be in relationship with us, to show us what it's like to be in relationship with the Father. And then Jesus died for us. He lived this perfect life in perfect relationship with Jesus, and he died for us. And again, just like, just like most of us would say um, with, with the relationship that that would be the end, where most of us would say with death, well, you know what, that's the end. God doesn't say that's the end. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, alive. And that is life that he gives us. That is the depths to which God will go to be in relationship with us. And so if, if you are hearing this for the first time today, know it. It is true. God, the God of the universe, wants to be in relationship with you. And he has made that possible. And just in a little bit, we're going to have, have uh, a prayer team come up, and you can receive prayer. Um, if, this is, if this is hitting you for the first time, that, yes, I, I want this relationship, um, please come up and receive prayer. Um, if, if what Pastor Dave had said um, about, about fruit in, in your life, um, whether that be that this is a season of, of much growth, of much fruit, and maybe you just want to come forward and, and just praise God together, please do so. If maybe this is a time where, where it seems like there is no growth, please come forward and receive prayer. Maybe this is a time where, where there is much pruning and there's, there's just hurt and pain in that. Know that there are people here, that we are here to, to share in that time with you, to be together in this as the body. Um, so I'll pray for us and uh, we'll have the prayer team come forward. Hey, Jesus, we just, we thank you so much that you are the true vine, um, that we don't have to be. Um, we thank you that, that you, you enter us and, and you, you produce fruit um, in us and through us, um, and that you call us even still to you, um, that even as you're in us, you call us to you more. Um, we pray that, um, that you would just have your way, um, that you would, you would meet us where we're at, wherever that is. Um, we thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. We thank you that you made it possible to be in relationship with us, to bring us to the Father. 
We love you and praise you and pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.